Welcome again to Agile Coffee. This is episode three. We are recording live from Paradise Perks in Irvine, California. We are close to Irvine Valley College at the corner of Jeffrey and Irvine Center. So let's roll the music. Agile Coffee. So at Paradise Perks this morning with John, and we are doing Agile Coffee episode number three. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. There's like hummingbirds out, you know, flying around. And um, I guess the only downside to having this much exposure to nature is that we actually have a huge smoke layer uh, blown in from our neighbors in San Diego. And it's supposed to blow out in about uh, two days from coastal breezes. Um, but it does have like kind of a sweet burnt wood smell in the air, um, and some folks are feeling a little bit of throat irritation, so I hear. But um, it is a beautiful Saturday. There's not a cloud in the sky. It does make your radio voice sound just that much there more we go. gravelly. Yeah, so. like having that deep gravelly sound. <laughs> but otherwise, we have a, a great view and a number of good questions today. We spent just a moment earlier talking about this this ring binder that you have, uh, the notebook. Now, this, these are all from your, um, your cards, and it looks like you have a ring of about 80 or so different 3x5 cards on a ring here. Yep. And these are, you want to set this up again just so sure. we don't lose this. You, you started yeah. co- um, writing these cards because mm-hmm. you felt like you were blocked yeah. for some reason. Exactly. So, yeah, I was, I was working in a, in a situation with a very large team and beginning to despair because I thought that I had an insolvable problem. In fact, a a friend slash family member said to me, you know, there are projects out there that could be widowmakers, and is it, you know, possible, John, that what you're dealing with is, in fact, an insolvable problem? And my response was, well, I have this construct that, like, there's no problem I can't solve, Mm -hmm. and I hold myself to some sort of ideal that, like, the rest of the world could not solve the problem, but I should still be able to. So it's a little bit self-defeating and setting up for fa- setting myself up for failure. So in any case, uh, this person said to me, you know, um, I want to give you a homework assignment where you write at least 10 to 20 cards, 10 to 20 short messages to yourself that are believable but positive and review it like at least once daily. Nice. And so, yeah, this is what I started, and it was very, very effective. And you how know? long ago did you start this? This is going so this back is, 10, 20 years? Oh, no, not that far. Maybe like, let's see. Oh, yeah, almost nine years. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, the, the, the worst time of the day for me was basically getting onto this commuter train, which itself is dehumanizing because you're crammed into a car. Mm-hmm. And you like your hands are just pinned at your side. Like it doesn't matter, you know, what way you try to turn. You can't even get enough like arm space to wipe the sweat off your face. Well, you're not talking about the commuter trains here in Southern California. No. You're <laughs> talking about those commuter trains in, in, Japan. in Japan at yeah. the height of uh, rush hours and yeah. whatnot. And and so at, at those times is when I'm thinking like, you know, why am I doing this? I'm doomed. You know, there's there's no way that I could succeed, and, and I'm not even going to grow from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I would pull out these cards to try to put myself in a constructive, positive, safe mindset. And um, it worked, you know, after about, say, two and a half months, I guess, you know, of just doing it mechanically so that 
I would maybe get the benefit out of it. Um, I could find that I was feeling better um, day to day because I really did believe what I wrote to myself. Um, and and they started off, I think, very um, modest yeah. in content mm -hmm. um, because at the time, obviously, I was extremely negative and feeling defeated. Should read the first five or six again? Sure. So the first one is, with more time and info, a solution will surface. The second... There are several people who can work on the problem with you. Mm -hmm. Third, you have a long track record of solving difficult problems. Four, improvisation and creative thinking are your strong points. And five, as long as you are honest and rational, nobody can fault you. Read the next one. Sure. The worst case scenario is still manageable. Yeah, those are good. Um, I think they're simple, they're impactful, they can be impactful, and as long as you go into it with a kind of a positive outlook, then mm -hmm. I think that you can build upon it and make some good stuff. Well, yeah. okay, so this is the newest edition, which I don't think I have in my notebook, and it's one that I've probably posted on Facebook, yeah. So those early questions are great because of their kind of simplicity, their kind of multi-purpose. But then you've got questions later on when you get in the 60s and 70s that look like they've got a little bit more kind of a deeper questioning to them. Yeah. So you were just talking about one of those, and then you said that you've got a new one that you wanted to add to it. Yeah. Um, and so this one, I guess, is a statement. It's, um, I guess, about what drives people or... What have we really got to work with when we're up against the big challenge? And uh, what I wrote was, innovation is an inexhaustible resource so long as there are perceived constraints and ambition to relax or remove those constraints. I like that. An inexhaustible resource. Right. Innovation is around as long as somebody feels like they don't have what they want and they aspire to stay in the problem space until they get it or get closer to it. Mm. And the, the thing about this is it came to me as a result of, I don't know, some, some sort of news story or maybe a movie of a person in prison that just decided they're going to escape. And you know maybe they dig mm -hmm. their way out with a spoon or, or whatever. But th the, the creativity is inside of all of us. It's just whether we can trigger our determination to achieve a, a desired result and sustain that determination long enough for the answers to emerge. It, they, and they will emerge. Every now and then I feel like when I'm thinking of a new app idea or a new website, I'm thinking everything under the sun's been invented, but then I shake myself out of it and I'm like, no, just remember necessity is the mother of all invention. And yeah. so just try to find a problem right. and, and solve it. Then I think of Frank Zappa immediately after that. So. <laughs> Frank Zappa on the moon or something. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's. Unless you have anything else to talk about on these cards, I think it's a great idea, and I, I probably will now begin. I probably have a card set of my own. They're just yeah. not in card form, and I'd like to now start putting them together and keeping them in card form. And I hesitate to say I'd like to make make an app for that so I can manage them uh, electronically. But um, you know, everything these days seems to be digital and not on paper anymore. And I know that that's one of our topics today. But yeah, yeah. I, I first of all, whether it's unplugged or whether it's it's plugged, it should be I think something that people do the more that they spend time trying to improve. 
this this is a good life habit to have. Yeah. And I would love to have like kind of an exchange, hear what other people's card rings, you know, say. And See, now there you go. Talk about a an app or a website, you know, card yeah. rings and, and share your card rings and yeah. find people with similar card rings and solutions to them. You know? Yeah. Think that through. Cool. Okay, so Agile Coffee, as you know, every um, time we meet, we have a list of questions. You can submit a question anytime via Twitter uh, using the hashtag AskAgileCoffee, all one word. Uh, John, we've got about ten questions or so on cards in front of us. We'll probably get to about five on this podcast and maybe on a later podcast. Sure thing. Sounds great. Let's read out these. uh, We'll just read the topics out loud. Sure. Today we've got Minimally Viable Agile. Yeah. So this is just what it takes to say that you're still doing Agile. If, if you're maybe just starting up or just breaking down, and you want to draw a line where Agile ends and all the rest of the muck begins. Next is transparency between stakeholders and POs and the team. Right. And so I think this is a, somewhat related to when you're saying that you're in a Scrum framework or any other Agile framework, what is transparency and how much of it do you need to have in place? Good. Another card says non-IT Agile. Yes, so this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. It's about Agile practitioners or using Agile in settings other than developing software. We have a card that says safe environments and soup. And now safe doesn't mean scale Scale Agile agile framework framework in the enterprise. No. General safe environments and soup. Emotional safety and soup is kind of everything else. It's the life of work that we're stuck with and want to improve, but perhaps don't feel that we can control or influence. It's the smoky air that we breathe. That's right. Agile games and gamification. So these are probably two separate pro, uh, two separate topics. I'm juxtaposing them for the sake of contrasting them, mm. but they're both topics that I think are relevant to the world of work, which I'd like to discuss. Cool. We have a card that says Agile in Japan. So I happen to have some insights and some questions I ask myself about how things are going agilely in Japan, and I'd like to have that conversation. Another, another card says training, taboos, and readiness. Right. So this is relating to, say, being a trainer of Agile or Scrum in a corporate setting and what, what is unacceptable or uh, unspoken, let's say, and uh, what do we need to have in terms of some level of readiness to execute on our skills as trainers. We have a card that says recursion, use it or lose it. Yes, this is the act of using the thing to teach about the thing or just going back and using a pattern inside of another pattern. Uh, build plan up front. Oh, big, big plan. plan up, big up. plan up front versus just-in-time plans versus no plans. Right, so this is a conversation about how much planning and or estimating is the right amount for what kinds of settings in projects. Okay. We have a card that says, record everything, observation and objectivity. Yes, so I have this desire to record almost everything in life when it comes to conversations about things I'm really strongly interested in, like project work and technology. However, there is a paradox, and the paradox is that by simply measuring or observing, you actually skew the results. Schrodinger's cat. 
What's it called? Schrodinger's Cat. Right? Wonderful. Yes, right? I want to hear about this. I, okay. I think I know where you're going with it. Yeah. Um, you should do a podcast. I'm okay. just saying that. So. Cool. Okay. Paper. <clears throat> hey, motorcycle. I love being outside because it introduces... Um, we're right in the buzz of it, aren't we? Yeah, we are. This is, this is fun. This is a lot of fun. And I like it better than the train going by, too. Yeah. The train you couldn't see. At least now we can see the traffic yeah. uh, going by, which makes it more fun. Okay. We have another card that says paper versus bytes, ALM for, uh, for requirements and planning. And tell us what ALM is again. Yeah, this is Agile Lifecycle Management. And um, it's a tool. It's a, a class of software, I guess you could say, to basically track effort and code and tests related to software development. And this is, I guess you could say, an ongoing conversation in the community about whether it's better to do things on paper in the physical world or whether it needs to be completely digital. Another card says the meaning and value of gatherings. Yes, so I've recently returned from a global scrum gathering in New Orleans, and I have uh, opinions but also questions about what these gatherings mean and why we should do them. All right, so that's our cards. Again, Lean Coffee or Agile Coffee bases, basically um, starts with cards on the table. We talk about the cards as we just did, and then we would vote on the cards. Everyone involved in a, participating in a Lean Coffee would have two or three votes, voting as many times on any one card as they wish, and then you rank the cards in order of priority. So if the most votes goes on the top of the deck, the least votes on the bottom, and then you start discussing the cards as a group. So we will set five minutes per card. Uh, at the end of five minutes, we'll do a Roman vote, which is a thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumb in the middle, uh, which indicates you'd like to continue or discontinue or you're ambivalent um, about that topic. If we have enough votes saying to continue the topic, then we'll go ahead and add another three minutes on, and we'll continue doing that until the topic exhausts itself. So uh, minimum five minutes or so, uh, maximum could be you know up to... 10, 12, 14 minutes. And with that, we can go ahead and start with our first card, which is Minimally Viable Agile. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of controversy. Um, in fact, I could call it heated debate over what's agile and what's not. And I, I often hear people say, oh, that's not agile. as like a pejorative to what somebody's doing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's actually like the cancer that's growing in the agile community is... Mm -hmm. Um, trying to beat people over the head mm -hmm. with Agile as some sort of stick. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's true that there should be some kind of bounds mm -hmm. um, that people would instinctively agree upon mm -hmm. that is either Agile or non-Agile. Now, I feel that Agile itself isn't like one method, right? It's a mm -hmm. collection of methods, a collection sure. of similar methods that probably share some commonality that make them quote-unquote Agile. Yep. Now, the word agile comes mm -hmm. from being quick, light mm -hmm. on one's feet, nimble. Right. Think of like a gazelle charting over the Sahara or, or a monkey swinging from tree to tree, yep. something that can, that can easily change. So I think that the agile methods, as we're talking about, are, are also applying that same kind of nimbleness or mm -hmm. quickness. So well, how would you boil down a, a minimally viable agile using that kind of concept? So, yeah, so it's interesting. Like, I think that... I mean, you probably, maybe I've said before, I'm not a fan of using an adjective like agile as a moniker for something that's mm -hmm. this large, amorphous mm -hmm. collection of practices which actually do have benefits to everybody involved in projects. However, in this case, it seems useful because, you know, you mentioned the gazelle. Now, the gazelle, I think most people would agree is agile, but there's two aspects to it. 
it's a fast it's a fast animal but it's not the fastest mm-hmm. i think like the arctic stern is a bird that travels at tremendous speeds um by gliding um and it's probably um very versatile mm-hmm. it could it could change directions uh faster than say uh a cheetah another fast animal can change directions mm-hmm. but that combination of speed and, and quickness and quickness yeah and mm-hmm. and, and acceleration in mm-hmm. other words um changing your direction speed in right. a vector is velocity but so if i can throw in a, an american football analogy wide mm-hmm. receivers are sometimes known for their speed which is straight line running right or their quickness which is cutting back and forth Perfect. being that side to side changing direction quick acceleration but if you're good at both speed and quickness yeah now now you're like a double edged sword yeah. or just the ultimate weapon so yeah that's what i think um describes the the multifacetedness of agile so when we talk about okay is is something still agile or is it agile enough to be called agile i think that there's there there are more than two facets to it there's probably hundreds of facets in other words there are hundreds of practices and virtues that we that we say belong to this group and if you take one away, is it like the Mikado game where, you know, you've got these these sticks in a cylinder that are supporting some marbles or something, and right, right. you pull one out and they all empty out, or do you pull out four and they all empty out, or does it matter which one or which four that you mm. pull out? If I were pulling out sticks, I would think that the two that I would want to keep in mm-hmm. for the Agile methodologies in general are mm-hmm. the ability to iterate on something, inspecting and adapting, as well as the idea of incrementalism, mm-hmm. breaking projects down into small deliverables of business value. Super. And that was the first one you mentioned is uh, almost the, the, the words right out of my mind. Um, I would agree with you there. And the second one, I guess it was in my mind implied by the first, but I, I agree with that as well. And so you've got these short iterations and in other words you get to throw more than one dart at the dartboard before time is up you know to say it's a it's a wrap for the project or it's a close unsuccessful close for the project i think that there could be others i haven't sat down systematically to decide in my opinion you know what are the the elements that must be had however i think that you have these five scrum values that are that are listed in a couple of books. One of them is this respect for people. In other words, respect mm-hmm. for the people that are doing the work. Mm-hmm. I think that without that, mm-hmm. you don't really have Agile. And the, the other one in my mind is irreplaceable, is this, this unending obsession with removing waste. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, it's Kaizen, of course, mm-hmm. or continuous improvement. Is that Mura or something? Yeah, there's yeah, yeah Mura, and <clears throat> there's other things that people try to sure, r- yeah. r- r- remove, like Muda or variability, etc. But yeah, Muda is is waste by definition, and it comes in so many forms. But focusing on removing that is um, is probably one other element. So I think maybe we should go offline. Start listing what we think would be our version of the minimally viable Agile, and, I don't know, put it up on the site and see what other people think. I'll take an action. Cool. And we'd like you to respond also using the hashtag uh, AskAgileCoffee. Mm-hmm. Why don't we change that hashtag? 
Okay. Tell Agile Coffee. Tell Agile Coffee. That sounds even better. Tell, Tell Agile. You can use one to ask questions and two to provide answers or wisdom, share your experiences. So hashtag Tell Agile Coffee. What mm-hmm. is minimally viable to you? In Agile. In Agile. Yeah. All right, so that went uh, just a little bit over five minutes. We got the Roman vote to extend it, and then we just ended as we needed to. Next up is a card that says transparency between stakeholders and POs and the team. Right. So, you know, my life, uh, I'm as old as dirt, and <laughs> I've seen a lot of teams and a lot of dynamics. And I've, I've recently uh, begun thinking back uh, about different teams and dynamics specific to the transparency between the two. And what I'm valuing most is just complete openness between them and I see the stakes as being very high when there's say a filter or perhaps a little bit of neglect for sustaining that transparency and maybe that's what it really is is that we're not appreciating the amount of effort and long-term commitment to transparency that it takes to reap the benefits of, of that and the more that you're removed, let's say, from the end users or clients, the more crucial it is, I think, to have transparency with whoever is the intermediary, you know, whether it's uh, account managers, sales representatives, executives, or whoever mm-hmm. is immediately facing that that end consumer software. Yeah, and I think you, you brought something up there or made me think of it in a different way, too. This transparency or lack of transparency doesn't have to be something that was overt or, mm. um, you know, intended. I right. think just the idea that um, someone such as a PO could be remote to the team and the scrum master mm-hmm. just makes it that much harder. It adds that extra challenge to mm-hmm. the goal of having full transparency. So mm-hmm. one easy solution is to get everyone co-located. Now, that's not mm-hmm. always possible, but mm-hmm. if you're not co-located, then you have to remember that transparency is going to be harder to achieve. Yeah, and you know, I think that in so many different aspects of Agile, we tend to become very slowly cavalier about how we approach things like, say, transparency. For example, let's say that we're a co-located team, and let's say that the stakeholders are on site as well. But the stakeholders obviously are at a higher managerial level than we are, so perhaps you know they're out of the office quite a bit, or perhaps their door is closed and they're on very long you know conference calls or in meetings. So there's this building disconnect, I guess you could say. This this accessibility barrier is rising and thickening and becoming less and less porous, and we don't even notice it on both sides, you know, the, the stakeholder side and maybe the PO and team side. And, and as that happens, what, we're, what I think is actually happening, to use a metaphor, is we're suffocating slowly. Mm-hmm. And one day we wake up and say, my gosh, you know, we've built the wrong thing. Or my gosh, we've got this constraint, you know, we have to deliver by such and such a date. And where did that come from? And so, you know, to avoid it, as scrum masters or agile coaches, we're often placed in the position of saying, 
hey, you know, we're having this sprint demo. Can you show up? Or I haven't seen you for umpteen demos. Mm. Are you still engaged with us? Mm. Are, are we delivering what you thought we would and in the way that you thought we should? And that sounds maybe a little bit confrontational. I've at times felt like I'm some sort of, you know, scrum police, uh, black and tans, just, you know, completely pounding the table over, you know, it must be this way or we don't get the benefits of scrum. But honestly, we it is a catch-22. If we don't if we don't stop at some point and say, okay, we need to reset mm-hmm. our commitment to transparency, then we do run off into the weeds. In the past, we've had blockers to transparency. Um, we've we've tried to solve them. As I said, kind of having the co-located people not be co-located anymore, but also making demos, for example, um, available to everyone via, you know, whatever communications tool you use, um, because the all the stakeholders could, they wouldn't be at one location anyway, they would be all over. Uh, so we've recorded them and made them available, that was mm-hmm. difficult. We've, we've scheduled it so that they're always occurring at the same time, and anyone within the company can sign on with one single sign-on to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've tried forums for feedback. And, you know, we've, we've kind of found a happiness level right now that mm-hmm. we're at, but it's just an ongoing kind of pursuit of the perfect, yeah. um, of the perfect there. Do you have any solutions you want to offer real quick as we reach our limit? Well, um, I, I think that having a conversation is probably the best way to do it. And by that, I mean by having a conversation with individual stakeholders mm-hmm. and tell them, okay, you know, my job is to identify smells and... Here's the clothespin I've had on my nose for three weeks. Can we do something about this? Because here's what's at stake. If we do not have more transparency, you will have more frustration, disappointment, and waste in your system. So I'm telling you now, not because I want to say in a week or four, I told you so, but because I'm here as your partner in the business to get what you want, and it requires some amount of effort and attention from you. So that's the end of the five minutes here. I want to know what you have to think of it, you out in the audience listening to us. Uh, do you have any uh, solutions or, or bad experiences or good experience of transparency between the teams and the roles? Uh, let us know at Tell Agile Coffee. That's on Twitter. We're using the hashtag Tell Agile Coffee. Yeah, the, li- the listening audiences is, are our stakeholders, so we'd love to have more engagement and get right back on track with what's most valuable to them. Right. All right, what's our next topic? Next up, we have non IT Agile. So, IT Agile. Mm-hmm. So as you know, most of the Agile implementations in this world began with software development teams. Yep. And there is a growing perception, I suppose, that Agile and Scrum are for software development like, teams. I'd actually like to back up, and, and I'm not yeah. disagreeing with what you said, but mm-hmm. um, but the Agile manifesto was written you know, by a bunch of guys who were from True. software, as you said. But a lot of the ideas came from like the just-in-time movement and mm-hmm. the lean manufacturing processes in the 50s or so with the automakers. Exactly, and those go all the way back to Edward Deming. It was essentially, I believe, a rift that was opened between Taylorism and whatever predated Taylorism, which was, I guess, you know, workers know the most about what the work mm-hmm. should be like mm-hmm. and how to improve it. And as you said, you know, we're talking yeah. about Agile, and so the, the guys that wrote the manifesto, the 17 people that got together, yeah. all from software. They were Just using, these, to be. using these practices of 
of project management that kind of came from um, the manufacturing area or were influenced yes. to some degree from manufacturing. Yeah, and, and I, I have to say that I believe that that was coincidence. Yeah. I, I don't believe that there's something magical about software that all of the greatest ideas um, are going to naturally be limited to that realm. In other words, if, if we're going to draw lines, I believe that the lines would be between project work and operations. And the interesting thing about non-IT Agile is that it does span beyond project work. You do see operations adopting Agile practices. And you could say that they are superimposed. By what, and what I mean by that is, so, you know, operations by definition is going to be work that is repetitive to some degree, follows a known pattern or flow. Okay. Kanban being part of the Agile Umbrella, Family. yeah, uh, obviously is very conducive and helpful to these kinds of workflows. Mm-hmm. However, even inside of those workflows, as we go back to the Toyota production system, the QC circle that developed in the manufacturing era, era or arena, that there was a certain time of day or week where the line workers would stop the line, sit at a table, and talk about ways that they could improve the line work. And this, this I think, you know, is, is a project itself. In other words, there would be maybe once or twice a year a, a Grand Prix where each respective line team would display the problem statement, the hypothesis that they put into place, the benchmark, and then the results, and even... Um, what they call subedidome, which means uh, s- slip stoppage, um, some sort of foolproofing to make sure that they would not fall back into the old ineffective ways or less effective ways. Nice. So that's, I think, also uh, usable in all kinds of non-IT spaces. Right. So going forward, um, you mentioned not only software, but what are some other business or non-business applications that you can think of? So I see, first of all, accounting and finance Mm -hmm. um, being a space that Mm -hmm. is applicable to this. And I'm borrowing, by the way, from a presentation made by some gentlemen from BMI, which is a a platform to pay royalties out to artists. Mm -hmm. And in the finance and accounting space, as you can imagine, they make periodic payments out to these musicians. And if you're a publicly held company, or even if you're privately held, I suppose, you're going to need to assemble information about the books, like an annual statement or whatever it is, a profit and loss statement to your stakeholders. So because of those cycles, they can use things like Kanban, or you could also use iterations from Scrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can also attempt to improve those workflows using some sort of continuous improvement methodology. Mm -hmm. So they lend themselves. Yeah. Kanban I always see as as like the simplest, most kind of easy to adapt and and understand uh, a form that we have available within mm-hmm. the umbrella of Agile. And that brings up Personal Kanban, a mm-hmm. book and method written yeah. by uh, Jim Benson, who also was one of the co-creators of the Lean Coffee movement. And 
and in it, he says that the two main functions of the personal Kanban are to uh, visualize your work mm-hmm. and to limit your work in progress. Yep. And he goes on to say that this could be used not only in the workplace, but also in your personal life. And, and it's something that I've taken to heart, obviously, uh, over the years as well. Yep. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I hate to steal the thunder of um, these people at BMI, but mm-hmm. there's other operations that they have you know there's the sales force of course and then there's there's people who are you know maybe going out and uh, enrolling new artists or recruiting new artists to their platform or what have you and the, those aside from those operations one thing that we that we discovered was you you could have you could have a kanban board for the daily repetitive stuff but then when you're sitting down to say okay we're going to restructure our workflow that is you know a series of stories a series of tasks where you either complete them and achieve the end result or you don't and that could be a burn down chart mm-hmm. so the 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 same organization can have both a kanban board and a burn down for the different aspects of the work that they do and and I think that it could be almost any job, uh, almost any kind of uh, commercial activity. I think what we're doing right now is more or less a, a Kanban. We've mm-hmm. got our stack of cards that are priority ranked on the left-hand yep. column, which is the to-do column. We've got one card which says non-IT Agile in the doing column, and we've got a couple cards that we already finished. So yeah. there you go. Example there, at work. Exactly. And there's, I think, a number of psychological factors that make this an easier way to work mm-hmm. we don't you and i i don't think have thought, thought twice about are we going to remember the topics that we need to actually speak about no because they're written down sitting right here in right. front of us and since we voted on these topics we know the ones that are more important we're going to get to yep. and the ones uh, not as important we'll probably not get to and maybe next time reevaluate their importance to us exactly so these kinds of simple structures help us work more efficiently and achieve what we want and value the most. So aside, by the way, aside from, you know, BMI, there are other organizations that I've found uh, that do soup to nuts agile. And by that, I mean like almost every division or team. And interestingly enough, on each team, uh, it's not necessarily that they don't have titles. You could have a team, for example, in finance where, you have managers, directors, and other executives who are just team members, not necessarily you know the pyramid hierarchy where right. they're the PO or they're the scrum master. Mm. It could be an a, you know an entry level scrum master who's simply facilitating and serving you know the needs of this team, which is comprised of management to executives. Um, and to to mention the the couple more that I'm aware of, okay. we do we do know that career builder. Mm-hmm. is a soup-to-nuts agile implementation, and it would be interesting in a, on a different topic or a different um, podcast to go into a little bit more of the details of how it adopted, because I think it's unique. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, we know that Adobe is this way, and also BMI. I'm interested in knowing any other implementation. I've heard of churches that implement Agile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are there is talk about implementing Agile in schools. Very good. Well, that's it for that topic. We did our five minutes, extended it to another three minutes. 
so that brings us to our next card, which is mm-hmm. safe environments and soup. Right. So soup, first of all, is just the the aspects of work that I learned it through Diana Larson. I guess there's a soup retrospective exercise. Yeah, the circles and soup. So and what soup. it means, if I can mm-hmm. give just the overview of that, is you've got three concentric circles. Concentric. Concentric circles, like mm-hmm. a target, right? Mm-hmm. The innermost circle is... Um, factors that you or your team have direct influence over. Mm-hmm. Direct, you can directly um, change the way that it's it operates. The second next circle, the more going outward circle, is things that you can influence, but not directly. So indirect influence, you can persuade others to uh, bend to your will. Yes, uh, over and time. Then, and then the everything outside of that, whether it's a third circle or just beyond, is called the soup. Which is stuff that you don't have any influence over at all, just like the wild, uh, the wildfires in San Diego blowing smoke in a general direction. <laughs> yeah, or it could be the government. It's got some regulatory compliance requirement that causes documentation, which seems like a waste, but mm-hmm. neither your employer or the developer, development team can influence that or control it. So, yeah, we have, we have things beyond our control, and we work in an environment, you know, and... and when I'm speaking of environment, uh, I'm talking about like the psychological, the psychological tone or tenor that you find yourself working in, and it can be one that is somewhat hostile and somewhat unforgiving, or it can be one of strong friendship and understanding and forgiveness, and it's psychological safety that I believe is a must-have, and close to but not entirely a deal breaker when it comes to innovation and you know there's this three stages of of psychology i guess you could say or productivity um forgive me i can't remember the author it's some name that begins with a c that's about 12 or 14 characters long but um we want to be in the mental state of flow we want to be in a mental state of flow just um yeah. pause on all right so basically there's this mental state of flow, mm-hmm. there's a mental state of boredom, and a mental state of fear. And pro- flow, boredom, boredom and fear. fear. Okay. Right. So as you can imagine, when you're in a state of fear, your body goes into like a fight or flight. Yeah, fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, physiologically, fight or flight is kind of a nasty thing. If you think about it, what happens if you, if, if, if a snake is fleeing, it's going to shed like whatever um, is in its stomach and whatever is in its digestive tract. <laughs> um, so bodily fluids you know, are instantly dispelled and it moves as fast as it can because adrenaline's running now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Needless to say, the blood is going from the brain to the muscles because your motor muscles are what's going to get you out of there. That's not the kind of physiology that lets you have your greatest ideas, stay focused, and come up with solutions that just don't exist in the moment. Now, the... Oh, and then, of course, the other one, fight is, of course, very similar, which is you are now going to have to tear apart whatever it is that's in your way. Mm. And, um, again, it's not like a highly cognitive state. It's more just your id takes over. and yep. Yeah. So uh, the other side of fear is boredom. Okay. And the thing is that your mind, of course, it never ceases thinking. Mm-hmm. And so if your surroundings are static and s- repetitive, 
and not really engaging you much, not seeming to be relevant to what you're interested in, then your mind just says, okay, I'm going to now filter out everything that's going on, and I'm going to think about something that does interest me. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're no longer in the problem space. You're no longer making associations with things that could become solutions. But when, when you're in between that, so you've got a task that you know is going to challenge you, it's going to push you to the envelope of your capabilities, but you still have confidence that you've got what it takes to accomplish that task. Now your physiology goes into this state of flow, mm -hmm. which means, you know, if you're Michael Jordan, all of a sudden your three-pointers all sink, mm -hmm. and you're doing shots that you've never done in practice, and of course the spectators couldn't have imagined uh, your, your body producing. And so the longer you're in the state of flow, the more you forget about the elapsing of time mm -hmm. and the more you develop these kinds of ideas that you never thought you were capable of and it creates enormous amount of value for your clients or employers. So I'm not familiar, I hadn't been familiar with this model that you're describing. Um, mm -hmm. We're at the five minute mark, so we'll extend it. Um, before, is there, and I know it's a podcast, so you can't see any kind of mm -hmm. visual representation, but is there any kind of a visual oh, representation of this? Yeah, is just it like a, a two-dimensional spectrum with fear yes. and boredom, and then somewhere in between is this a idea? A of flow, flow. yes, okay. exactly. So if you just Google uh, mental state of flow mm -hmm. and go to the images side yeah. of Google, you'll get uh, several different graphs of this. Right. And, um, yeah, I happen to stumble onto it. So safety is what we need in the face of a challenge to stay in that groove of mm -hmm. the mental state of flow. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes incumbent upon the stakeholders and the scrum master to establish this emotionally safe environment mm -hmm. so that teams can perform what it is that they're being hired to do. Mm -hmm. And that's easily said, but not easily done, is, as I've seen. Um, there's a million things that can happen in a corporate setting that jeopardize that emotional fe that feel of safety or the perception of safety. Now, you can argue, well, you know, we haven't fired anybody in the last six months or nobody's been put on some sort of disciplinary measure for doing this or not doing that. But you know the thing that I often hear when I talk with somebody about, like, okay, what happens if this agile implementation just kind of drifts off or if we have, like, this really strong, like, pushback going on from the team members? They say, well... You know, everybody's free to do what they want. They just don't have to stay here, mm. you know, which is, yeah. of course, a veiled threat of sure. we'll get rid of you if you're not going to be on board with our Scrum or right. Agile. Not very safe. Not very safe at all. And it's, I think, that kind of veiled threat that jeopardizes the emotional state of safety, even with people who are already on board with, you know, this Scrum or Agile implementation. Mm -hmm. So... I'm looking for ways to perhaps negate or um, counteract, counteract yeah. yeah, these kinds of maybe statements that are made, not necessarily just about the transformation. For example, let's imagine a piece of software that has some characteristic called a GALF. Okay. Right. There's right. a GALF. So these GALFs, you know, they're really important to the customer. And if, as you're coding and introducing enhancements or, you know, you're fixing bugs, 
if you should do anything that should mess up one of the gals, that's mm. a fireable offense. Mm. That could be said as much as like two or three, maybe even 10 years in the past. Mm. And now it's embedded in the culture or the environment and makes the environment unsafe. Mm -hmm. So the puzzle that I'm stewing on these days is I can't unsay those words for that person, that executive. Mm -hmm. What can I do to bring the safety back? What are the seeds I can sow? How do I cultivate it? So I don't know. I'm thinking um, I'll... I'll come back with a solution in probably a couple months. And I think I'd like to throw it over to the audience, too. What types of solutions or experiences do you have with uh, safe environments or non-safe environments? Um, tell us on Twitter using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Let us know what you think. All right, we are moving along. Again, I just want to remind people to check out the website. That's AgileCoffee.com. For any updates, we will, of course, have show notes here, so you can check out agilecoffee.com slash episode three and tell us what you think. Uh, reply via Twitter would be great. If you wanted to ask a question, use the hashtag AskAgileCoffee. If you wanted to reply with any experiences, use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up this episode then, John? Any upcoming events that we'd like to discuss? Yeah, there's a couple coming up. So we've got the San Diego Scrum Day coming up soon in June. And then we have in September the 2014 Agile Open, which is an open space event. Tickets will go on sale the 1st of June, strike of 1201. And, uh, of course, there's an early bird discount. Mm -hmm. It's already an extremely affordable rate. Mm -hmm. there's, it's, it is limited seating, limited participation. So being, being prompt and securing your ticket is, of course, key there. And then, of course, in mid-July, or I'm sorry, late July, there's the global Agile, yeah, that's Agile, Agile Alliance, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, which is coming up. So... Definitely ones to keep an eye on, and uh, folks who are going to be attending would love to interview them mm -hmm. uh, to see uh, what's going on, if, if we miss any of them. And, uh, of course, you and I, Vic, will be convening a, an Agile Coffee uh, session at the beginning of that San Diego Agile Scrum Day. Mm -hmm. Would love to have folks join us there live, um, or, gosh, if, if there's a way to... Uh, Remote in. So that day of Scrum will be on Friday the 13th of June Correct. Uh, down in San Diego. And uh, information of, for that is also on the website, agilecoffee.com. Yeah, I guess you could say we're the one open-ended piece of that day of, of presentation. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun because what we're going to do is spend um, 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning of our portion kind of going into like why lean coffees uh, work and how to set up your own lean coffee. And then we'll spend the rest of our time to actually run a lean mm -hmm. coffee with the, the participants there. So it'll be fun. Yeah, and the, the part uh, maybe our listeners could could participate in up front or in advance is I'd be interested in getting some input whether we should seed some of that conversation with some cards in you know the the agile coffee demonstration or, or whether organically we should expect folks to go ahead and bring their own I think that either way is fine because what I'd like to do after we get the 
questions put onto cards is actually have everyone vote. So yeah. whatever questions are there, whether they've been seated or mm-hmm. come up on the spot, I think is fine because it's a democratic process. You Absolutely. Can, well, I wonder then how much will survive the democratic process <laughs> from the seating. But either way, it's fine, of course. Any That's other different. final words then to impart upon our great, fantastic listeners out there? Well, uh, I guess in relationship to Scrum, um, this is not my invention, but certainly something that I'm bringing to my teams, and that is that Scrum is simple, but not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it, (laughs) and they're not yet. Um, And so what that means is that we need to apply ourselves to understand how to make it as easy as possible and to stick with it long enough that we reap the benefits of implementing it. And I will leave with this thought, even though this is Agile Coffee, and I had my coffee at the beginning of this podcast, I have since switched to iced tea because I am flexible. I can rapidly (laughs) respond to change. And uh, this tea that I've got is um, a Chinese black tea, and wow, Mm. it's an interesting mix. That's what we're all about here is interesting mixes of content and conversations. So participate with us next time by reaching out to us via Twitter at the hashtag AskAgileCoffee and or the hashtag TellAgileCoffee, and we'll include you on the next roundtable. So until next time, or See whatever you next we time, want to folks. Say. <laughs> Agile Coffee.